When it comes to marriage, there's an awful lot that's been said and even more that has been written about how marriages should be. But there's only one book that has a definitive answer to what marriages should look like and why. And it's that book that we turn to today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse as we consider and continue our series, God's Design for Marriage and Family. Marriage is challenging enough, especially when you start adding family members. The more family members, the more advice. The more advice, the more direction. The more direction, the more confusing it can be. God's Design for Marriage and Family is the title of our series. Welcome to Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, begins today's broadcast by looking at what Moses meant when he said, leave your mother and father and cleave to your spouse. This command to leave a lot of times is misunderstood by people. So let me tell you, first of all, what it does not mean. What it does not mean. I have there what it means in your, in your outline, but I didn't give you this part, what it does not mean. It does not mean that you should literally abandon and forsake your parents. That's not what Moses is telling them to do. God has commanded that we're still to love and respect and care for elderly parents, even after marriage. You don't just leave them hanging high and dry. Matter of fact, even in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul records this. He tells Timothy, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, Paul's talking about the widows that are to be put on the list, and he says, listen, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them provide for her. It's not up to the church. Because he says if a man doesn't provide for his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever. See, we have a continuing obligation to our parents even after marriage. That obligation is to love them, to respect them, to care for them. That's what we're called to do. So it doesn't mean you forsake your parents. Secondly, it doesn't mean that we need to move a great distance away from our parents. Oh, I'm getting married. I got to move away. I got to move to another state. I got to leave my father and my mother. In fact, it's possible to forsake your parents in the biblical sense and still live next door to them. On the other hand, it's possible to live thousands of miles away and never have left your parents in a biblical sense. So it's important that you understand what we're talking about here. Wayne Mack writes in his Strengthening Your Marriage book, he writes this, uh, you may not have left your parents even if they are dead. (laughs) So what does it mean to leave your parents? What's Moses saying here? Well, a couple things, four things, actually. First of all, it means, first of all, a change of authority, a change of authority in your relationship. The husband becomes the authority of his own home. That's how God has set this up. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Wives are to be submissive to their own husbands. Notice it says own husbands, not just every man, own husbands. And again, we will talk more about that next week when we get into the woman's role. So it means a change of authority. Secondly, it means a change of dependence. 
What that means is neither spouse, the husband or the wife, should depend on the parents for provisions. Now, if the parents want to help you out, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But please understand, it's your responsibility to provide, the husband's responsibility to provide for his own household. You shouldn't be latching on to mommy's apron strings at the end of every month because you don't have any money because you're mismanaging whatever you have. So it's the husband's responsibility to provide. It means a change of dependence. And then thirdly, it means a radical change in your relationship to your parents. A radical change in your relationship to your parents. It it basically has the understanding that you establish a new adult relationship with them. Now, I know you're still their child, but it means you have a new relationship with them now. It means that you're more concerned about your mate's ideas, your spouse's opinions and practices, than those of your parents. That's so important to understand when you come to marriage. It means that you're not slavishly dependent on your parents for their affection, for their approval, even for their assistance and for their counsel. Now, to go to them for those things, there's nothing wrong with that, but to be dependent on them for those things. That would be wrong. And practically, it means that you need to make sure that you eliminate any lingering bitterness toward your parents. I've counseled married couples over the years that, boy, when you unravel everything, what it comes down to is that mom or dad treated one of the, one of the couple, the husband or the wife, in a wrong way, and they're still holding on to that, and they're taking it out on their spouse. They had nothing to do with it because they've never really gotten over it. They've never forgiven. They're, they're still bitter. And they're tied to their parents. And sometimes their parents are long time dead. And they're still affecting them from the grave. God doesn't want that for you. Your marriage is too precious for that. No matter how far away you may be from your parents, Practically, it means that you should eliminate any lingering dependence on them for anything. It means you'll stop trying to change your mate simply because your parents don't like the way maybe he or she is. See that all the time. Well, the fourth thing is it it means to leave basically means to begin a a primary, a new primary relationship. It means your relationship to one another now takes priority over your relationship with your parents. Um, Do you take more care to preserve your relationship with your lifelong college friends or your biggest client or your parents or maybe your blood family than you do with your own spouse? That's a dangerous place to be in. Our relationship with our mate is to be superior first above all others. And by the way, this is not just a warning to the married couple, but it's also a warning to the parents. (laughs) As our children prepare to leave home and to marry, we should be preparing our children to leave and to be joined to their spouses. And if they're married, we shouldn't try to run their lives, even though sometimes we want to. (laughs) And I know Ambika and I have 
try to live by this with our daughter and her husband and three grandchildren. And, you know, kids sometimes, I think they tried it once or twice, you know, but early on, you know, well, you know, I don't know. Grandpa, can we do this? Well, what's his mom and dad? Well, they're not here. You know, we don't need to go there. We don't need to ask mom and dad. Well, no, yeah, we do. Because you're really under their authority. And so it's important that they learn that lesson early on. Wayne Mack um, gives good advice in his book. He says, you must allow the young husband to be the head of his home, to make decisions for himself, to look to his, to look to his wife not you, speaking to parents, as his primary responsibility and helper. You must encourage your daughter, in this case, to depend on her husband, not you, for guidance, help, companionship, and affection. Um, We're commanded to forsake our parents. Well, the second verb here is not just to forsake, but also to be joined or to cleave. It says there, be joined to his wife. This Hebrew word literally means to be glued to. To be glued to. Now, if you've ever taken two pieces of wood, sometimes I like to work with some wood, and you you make something, you've got to glue them together, and you put a clamp on it. It's amazing how strong the bond of glue can be between two hard objects. I mean, sometimes when you pull them apart, the glue joint doesn't break, but the wood breaks. The wood peels away from itself. That's the kind of joining together that we're talking about. That's the kind of cleaving that we're talking about. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It's used in 2 Samuel 23, where one of David's mighty men, Eliezer, we went through this when we went through it on Wednesday night, um, we're told that his hand clung to his sword because he held it so tightly for so long in battle. It was stuck literally to his hand. That's the idea. Or it's used in Genesis 34 where we're told Shechem's love for Dinah was so great that his soul stuck to Dinah. That's what we're talking about. It really suggests two things. It suggests passion and it suggests permanence. Passion and permanence. That should characterize our marriages. We have to understand that we are glued to our spouses. We're to be glued to our spouses. And that's why he says there, what he says in verse 24, the result of leaving your parents and of being glued to your spouse is what? Is that you become one flesh. Now that refers to the sexual union and marriage. 1 Corinthians 6, we're getting there, speaks about that. But Moses is saying the two shall become one flesh. So the description of one flesh obviously has at its core the the sexual union in marriage, but becoming one flesh is more than just physical. One flesh refers to a complete unity of parts, making a whole. There's a lot of interesting words in the Old Testament for the word one. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, the great saying that Israel, we, we hear this all the time, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? Is one. And yet God is what? Three persons. Three persons in one. So it's different persons coming together to form unity. And in Numbers 13, it's used of a cluster of grapes as one cluster, even though there's multiple grapes in the cluster. So it's the idea that two parts come together to form one complete whole. 
And it describes not just the physical aspect of marriage, but the spiritual and emotional relationship of marriage. I mean, sometimes you can see this happening when you're in a conversation with a third party and you're both talking and you find yourself finishing each other's sentences. It's like, wow, that's what I was just going to say. Why? Because over the years, you've just become one, one as God desires you to be one. It's no longer he or she, but it's we. And so it really speaks of the, the reality of sharing everything in total intimacy. That kind of two parts becoming one, it's difficult, is it not, to achieve? Why? Because of sin. <laughs> because of our sinfulness. Because we want to do our own thing. We want to be me, not we. <laughs> And so it's important that we remind ourselves that we have to die to ourselves each and every day. The physical relationship instead of is really a great barometer of the condition of a marriage. That's kind of a problem that some people see when couples come and they complain, well, there's no, there's no physical relationship here. Uh, well, it goes deeper than just a physical relationship. There may be some emotional or relationship issues. And that's why he says there in chapter 2, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That picture is the perfect condition that existed between Adam and Eve. It was the fruit of their perfect love for one another. They sought what they do immediately after their sin. They sought to what? Cover themselves. Why? Clearly, part of it was a sense of guilt that they felt before God. But there's another component here as well. As soon as they sinned, they were no longer comfortable with each other. And what did they do? They put on some fig, fig leaves to try to hide from each other. One writer puts it this way. When sin entered the picture, their openness, transparency, and total oneness was destroyed. I mean, see, as Christians, it should be our goal in marriage to recover the reality of what it means to be joined together in unity, physically, spiritually, emotionally, two parts becoming one. The bottom line really is this, is that our goal should be to make our marriages superior to any other human relationship. You have to make it a priority. It doesn't just happen automatically. Simple quiz here. This exists in your marital relationship. Are there people in your life whom you know better, enjoy more, spend more time with, talk to more than you do your own spouse? If the question is yes, your marriage to that extent is not the priority in your life. Second question, do you spend more time in a typical week pursuing your own interests, activities, or hobbies than you do cultivating a better relationship with your spouse? That reveals, really, the priority of our own marriage. Now, we're not going to have it perfect all the time. There, you know, it's ebbs and flows. But the goal should be that we desire to have a marriage that is honoring to the Lord. Well, what are some distractions? What are some distractions? Let's keep it practical here. From keeping marriage what it ought to be in our own lives. Um, that primary human relationship? What are some things that can pull us away from that priority? Um, these aren't 
like inspired things. These are just things that I thought of. Uh, first of all, you might call them enemies of a priority of the marriage. First of all, I, I put their um, uh, career or work. Career or work. That's a big one, especially for men. Um, your work, your, your job can be an incredible enemy to your relationship with your wife. You, you need to just be aware of that. It doesn't mean you don't work. But you just have, it's just the way we're geared. You know, we want to go to work. We want to get things done. We gotta, and that's just who we are. And so we have to kind of build some cautions in there. Because I guarantee you, your company will suck the life out of you if they can. That they, they don't care. And they'll pay you lots of money to do it. <laughs> you know, and so, but what's going to happen? There's been a lot of men who've been very successful in business but lost not just their own family, their relationship with their wife, but their relationship with their kids. But in the end, even their own lives, they're driven to such despair. And they had everything that somebody in this world would want to achieve. So you have to keep that in mind. Secondly, another distraction from the priority of marriage is general busyness. You know, (laughs) sometimes... You know, whether, you know, and this is where I take my hats off to the ladies. You know, you talk to some of the wives in our, even in our church with kids, you know, it's, well, how was your week? Well, it was good. You know, I had, well, I had the soccer thing, and then I had to do the laundry, and then you know, I cleaned the house, and then I went out to the basketball thing, and then I had softball. And I mean, it's like, whoa, you do all that stuff? Oh, yeah. And it goes up 10 times when school begins. You know, you think it'd be, it'd be a blessing, you know, the kids in, in, in class a couple hours a week or a couple hours a day, but sometimes it becomes even more busy then. And so general busyness, it doesn't mean those things are bad, but it even happens with church stuff. It even happens with church activities. It even happens in ministry. With You get so busy with ministry, you forget the God you're serving. And that's why it's, it's important to, you know, that's why we don't have Bible studies every night of the week. We have a Bible study on Wednesday night. We encourage you to come out. I mean, here in the Bay Area, it's hard even to do a Sunday night service. Some people say, why don't you do a Sunday night service? It's very easy. Nobody would come. I'd be here teaching to myself with maybe two or three people. Why? Because people are just too busy. That's just the way it is. It's sad, but it's, it's a reality of life. And so you have to stop and you have to realize general busyness can be a Big distraction. You know, we're all busy. We all got things on our schedules, but we all got the same amount of time. We can choose not to be so busy. We can simplify our life. But whatever you do, don't sacrifice your marriage on the altar of busyness. Thirdly, the third distraction that keeps marriage from being the supreme relationship is, I'll just say it, in-laws. <laughs> in-laws. Uh, this is one of the top three counseling concerns when it comes to marriages. Um, And there are two really great dangers when it comes to in-laws. The first is just spending too much time with them and not enough time with your spouse. The second thing is talking to your in-laws negatively about your spouse. That can definitely erode the priority of marriage in any relationship. You don't ever want to do that. So that being said, the last thing here is if you have children, (laughs) you understand this one, uh, children can easily become a distraction to allowing you to have a good marriage. 
And you say, well, wait a minute. There are children. Exactly. But they can become a, um, a very uh, kind of energy-draining, time-draining pull on your lives to the point where you don't have anything left for your spouse. Why? Because of the, the sheer noise level. <laughs> I mean, when they don't get what they want, what happens? They, 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 they communicate it to you. They're giving you feedback. And it's easier just to say, oh, okay, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do this, we'll do that. And you placate your children rather than discipline your children, and you end up with kids that are running the home. And we'll be talking about that in a couple weeks, how that looks. I mean, when you think about it, it's basically the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And I think we could all agree that the children are the squeakiest of all. So, you know, as important as children are, and as important as we, that role we have to shepherd their little lives toward Christ, you have to remember they're only in our, harm, in our homes for about 18 years. That's it. Maybe a little longer, but usually that's about it. And then they're gone. So don't let your kids distract you from your marriage. I've seen so many couples, man, they spend all their time doting over their children. And then all of a sudden they wake up one day and all their children are gone. And they look at each other and go, who are you? (laughs) I don't even know you. And it ends in divorce. Because they're not willing to put the time in to make marriage the priority even when the children are in the home. Well, what are some, you know, practical ways then, looking at the, the flip side here, to continue to make your marriage a priority. Because we, we, we want to make that. We want, we want our marriages to remain a priority. First of all, commit yourself to growing in your relationship with Christ. This is so important, and people overlook this. And this, this happens in marriages. Sometimes people are reading marriage books and counseling books more than they're reading the Bible. And you wonder why they got issues in their spiritual lives. You need to be committed to growing in your relationship with Christ. Commit yourself to do that. A good Christian marriage is based on a a mutual walk with the Lord. You're going to see that in Ephesians 5 in a couple weeks. tells us about how wives are to relate to their husbands, how husbands are to relate to their wives. But it says basically there in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. Be continuously filled with the Spirit with the Spirit. Be controlled by God's Spirit, not your own selfish flesh. So if both of you are desiring to honor the Lord and honor His Word, and you're growing closer to the Lord, I mean, you know, it's kind of like two sides of a triangle. As people grow closer to the Lord, they grow closer to each other. That's really what happens. Well, the second practical way you can make your marriage a priority is to develop a we mindset. We, we mindset. Now, most of us don't have a problem having a me mindset, but we need to develop a we mindset. And I'm so blessed sometimes when I'll ask some of the guys in the church, hey, you want to do this, you want to do that? And sometimes I'll say, well, let me check with my wife. That's not a, you know, mamby-pamby thing to do. That's a wise thing to do. That's, That's letting them know that, hey, well, wait a minute, I do have a relationship that's more important than having lunch with you. And that's my wife. Nothing wrong with that. Even when we follow Jesus faithfully, unexpected storms will always be around. But 
we do serve the author and finisher of our faith and all that we know and see that is tangibly in front of us, the God of this universe. We are out of time today. We'll close out our program here and remind you that, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us either through our website or by simply giving us a call here at Graceful Truth. The easiest way to get in touch with us would, of course, be through our website, gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. Always reach out to us by phone, if you wish, at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also download our app. Simply Google Grace Bible Church Redwood City or Follow the link off of our website, gracefultruth.org. As these are uncertain times, and we find ourselves wondering just what kind of freedoms to expect tomorrow, we would invite you to visit our website, gracefultruth.org. It's there that you'll be able to learn about the updates when we will get together as a congregation here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, and what we'll be doing in the meantime. Again, you'll find that information at gracefultruth.org or gracebibleonline.org. Either one of those websites will provide you with the added resources to continue to feed your soul during these challenging times. And in the meantime, would you continue to pray, not only for us, but other churches here in the Bay Area, and pray that we would find ourselves in every opportunity giving an answer for the hope that lies within us in these seemingly hopeless times. Thank you again for spending time with us here on Graceful Truth. And until next week, God bless. Graceful Truth is the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City.